Pain doesn't have to evolve into suffering. And for many years, I really thought that way when I think about all the experiences I had growing up and through my early adulthood. But I've come to understand that in order for you to become the best version of you, it requires abandoning those assumptions and what was modeled for you and surrendering in order to enjoy a higher level of consciousness, a better quality of life. And to really expound on this, these ideas I brought into the conversation, Mira Shaya, she is a, a monk and the author of two really powerful books, Peace or Pain and Surrender is Good for the Soul. And during our conversation, we talked about this idea that we have the power to change our lives. We have the power to surrender ideas that don't really belong to us. And during our conversation, we talked about being present and mindful and more importantly, understanding that the design of our life doesn't belong to anyone else but us. And so if you're interested in these ideas about inner peace, fulfillment and authenticity, then you're really going to enjoy our conversation. We're going to get to all of that coming to you after this short break. Hey, Mira, how's it going today? Hey, Denise, it's going really well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing good this side of the pond. I It's raining here, thankfully, but what what's the weather for you over <laughs> in England? <laughs> Great and overcast. We're quite used know. to that. But you know what? I know that there were seasons of your life that were gray and overcast. And I, and you can put us in, in like, I know this is audio and people can't see your face, but you're like smiling and like it's gray and overcast. And other people are like, oh, it's gray and overcast, but it's an experience. And as I think about the things that we've talked about, and obviously your books, Peace or Pain and Surrender is Good for the Soul, we're going to leave links in the show notes below. Dive really into that. But for those who are listening, how in the world, did you embrace the discomfort? I mean, especially given all your health issues. Yeah, so for me, it's been a gradual journey, you know, like, yes, I smile a lot now. I laugh a lot. I, I'm very content and happy in each and every moment, actually almost regardless of what is happening on the outside because I've cultivated the inner experience. So this wasn't like an overnight thing. For me, I think really I was pushed up against it. I hit rock bottom. I actually didn't want to live anymore. So I, I know exactly what it's like when people are suffering. I know exactly what it's like when you don't want to be here anymore, when your whole life does feel gray and overcast. I know what that feels like. You know, I've had that as that experience. And and for me, I think it's that the tenacity that I have, the, the willingness to explore. I've, I kind of always have this, feeling I, I lost a little bit it's somewhere along the way on my life but I, I recaptured it again you know like that desire and that belief that there is more to life than I was experiencing you know like this cannot be it you know I've always had that desire to to push the boundaries to go beyond the immediate experience that I'm having and and, and see what else is possible you know like I think we can get so locked into the experiences that we're having, we we just forget that actually there are many joys to life. 
you know to connect with other people is beautiful but if we're so shut down and closed in our own experience actually we can be showered with love you know and company and all the beautiful lovely things we want and actually we won't see it so I think for me the biggest change was actually starting to become more alert more conscious more aware so I could actually see all the good stuff in life you know um and within that as well to actually welcome everything in and it's kind of like see what sticks whereas before I was pushing everything away I was going no to this 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 and this and within that kind of barrier that I built up around myself I was blocking all the good stuff as well so in kind of opening up and being willing to receive being willing to explore uh, use the techniques that I was uh, given um, by the Bright Path of Shires and the, and the promise that if you do that, you'll always receive more. Um, I discovered that for myself. And actually, that's the important thing, I think, with any teaching, any path, any choice that we make in life, you know, is that it's our own discovery. Um, we can believe in something or not believe in something. But for me, you know, the proof is in the experience, you know, and in order to get the experience, yeah, you have to go for it. You have to actually try something different than you're already trying. You hinted at the shyest. And for those of you guys who don't know what Mira is talking about, we're talking about the monastery of a shyest. And that's a very interesting story that needs to be further kind of explained and fleshed out. I want to talk about how a extremely just painful experience with childbirth can lead you into the far east chanting <laughs> like like well, like how did that happen well well i mean i didn't actually have to go to the far east uh the, the teachings over in the west now and readily available so i'm very very lucky actually in that the teaching came to within 20 minutes of my home um and and so there are there are bright path of shire teachers um and we're practicing monks um, who live all around the world and we don't live in monasteries anymore actually we have everyday lives like I'm a I'm a mom I'm a wife I'm a graphic designer originally by trade um, and and so it's it's just all of us that become monks are those who kind of can see beyond the immediate appearances you know that are willing to go for more you know we want everybody wants peace everyone wants to be happy everyone wants love everyone wants lots of money you know we we all, we have all these desires but i think those who become um a practicing monk are those that are really willing to go for it you know to push past all the struggles um and you know start to take what's rightfully ours actually it's our birthright to experience peace and it's not a fleeting experience um as as a feeling it's a it's a it's a permanent state of being um we're born into that state of being you see that with young kids don't you right they're just fascinated they're in awe they're delighted with everything and for me every single one of us can have that you know that's why I can smile and laugh and joke <laughs> and not be affected by the weather in the UK um, because it doesn't touch me. It doesn't touch my experience of of, of stillness, of, of pure awareness and presence. That is a permanent state of being. And it's really just for each of us to tap into that um, because it's not um, just for people who are practicing monks. We teach, you know, everybody and anybody that wants to learn. Um, and they too can have that experience to go beyond the thinking mind and have that direct experience of being present now and accessing a state of presence that we can be consciously aware of. I, I want to dive in a little bit deeper about the pain 
because I know that there are people who are listening. They're like, awesome. I know that there's more than what meets the eye. That's awesome. That the piece is meant for everybody, but I'm in pain and I can't relate to you. Yeah, perfect. You know, and that's why um, I picked the title Peace or Pain for my first book. Um, because I remember the first time I heard that I was actually on um, my six month training to become a, an Ashaya teacher and monk. Um, and one of the teachers there, the teacher of all the teachers, he, he kind of presented this idea that peace or pain is a choice. And I'm like, oh, you know, like I, I couldn't comprehend that. At that point in time, there wasn't actually a great amount of pain I was in. I'd already healed myself to a degree. So I kind of, yeah, sounds amazing, but didn't really kind of take it on board too much. However, like two, three days later, something like that, might have even been the next day, I I forget exactly, I, I was suddenly presented with a huge amount of pain. And not only pain, my condition um, leads to immobility, to uh, actually not being able to walk at all, uh, not being able to lift my legs, so I can't, you know, project myself forwards and and so on this hillside in Spain, which was very hilly, <laughs> I had to walk up this path um, to, to the meditation room. Um, and getting up to that top of that path was really difficult. Like I was struggling to lift my right leg. So I was kind of like half hobbling, half dragging. I had to stop several times on the way. And, you know, it was really difficult. And I, the pain was building up and up in intensity. And I was getting more and more frustrated. So it was emotional pain, physical pain, mental torment. Um, and I just about made it to the top and there was somewhere to sit down and I just collapsed on this wall and I'm just like absolutely distraught. You know, I'm here for six months. How on earth am I going to navigate this hillside? I really, really want to be here. And in that kind of moment of misery, I remembered the meeting a few nights before or the night before with this teacher presenting that concept that peace or pain is a choice. And I'm like with every inch of my being, I'm like, well, if that's a choice, I want peace. And it's just like, I think maybe because every part of me was just like, almost like, what's possible? I want this. I want peace. That this experience just opened up within me. And there was just like this endless sea of peace. It was immense. It was it was unending. There was no edges to the experience. It was just very pure and clear. And it, and it was sustainable. Like it just stayed with me. After about three or four days, it kind of faded a little bit again and I kind of ebbed in and out of it but now I knew now I had the actual direct experience so for anyone here listening that is in an awful lot of pain right now I just hope my words can give you like that that thread of hope but also that curiosity like if it's possible for Mira is it possible for me too you know because that's what got me to understanding as much as I do about pain now you know you can read about pain you you can have uh go on courses you can understand an awful lot but so many approaches are about fixing yourself about curing yourself and and for me I've I do things that help my body uh, that help my emotional state that calm me that soothe me but really it's it's recognition where your attention is in any given moment dictates the experience you have and so for me putting my experience in the present moment and I have tools and techniques to do that and I can guide people into that without a tool and technique you know then there's peace there's always peace and it's only accessible here now and then healing takes place then my body improves then I have greater mobility instantaneously as well though like it's a process to some degree but it's also an instantaneous experience I really I can relate with you so much about this idea of this pain is so uncomfortable 
I just want to check out. I I just don't feel as if my life is worth worth living at this point if it's going to be debilitating. But choosing to focus on that energy only amplifies it. And I know that's hard for some people who are listening that, wait a minute, my pain's real. I'm like, no, no one's doubting the pain is real. But what's your intention? And then when you were just kind of that explain that scene of just going up the stairs and just I, I just can't do this, but like I pain is a choice. Peace or pain is a choice. It really just kind of puts into perspective that I can give energy towards feeling good about myself, or I can give energy to making myself feel miserable. It's really a matter of choice. But I want to talk with you about this idea of being present versus thinking. Because I think a lot of people really think they're one and the same, but they're not. No, they're not at all the same. Uh, if you're thinking, you're not present. It's as simple as that. You know, if you think of um, thinking as uh, being like a radio station that you are tuning into, like we are so identified with thought. It's like we develop this thought created reality and it's like putting on a virtual reality headset. You know, I'm doing the hands now, but obviously those that are just listening with audio. But it is it's like you see the world through your thoughts once they have been downloaded into the unconscious mind, you know, and it's like we we come to conclusions and if something gets repeated enough or there's a huge amount of uh, um, emotion when you learn something, then it's taken on board and it becomes like our programming. Um, and that, that collection of thoughts that we download into the unconscious mind, that's our ego. And it's like we wear it, you know, like wearing a hat or a piece of clothing and we fully identify with that. And that is a very limited version of life. And as long as you are thinking, as long as you are identified with even just one thought, you are not present. But in any given moment, you can actually stop. And it's so simple. You just pay attention. Expand their awareness into presence is to just notice what sounds you can hear. You know, and you might notice sounds in the room in, initially. Like for me, I can hear the, the fan of my laptop right now. And then you just carry on paying attention. Like, are there other sounds? Maybe a ticking clock, maybe some traffic outside, maybe a bird tweeting or, you know, and just in that paying attention, your awareness expands. You come away from the thoughts and you're in this fully immersed in this moment and, and then you're present. Then it's like you've kind of stepped into another operating mode, you know. So now you're operating from presence. Everything you see in here is clear and pure. It's what's actually happening right here and right now, rather than it being governed um, or coloured by, you know, influence filtered by the thinking mind, literally dictating what we see, what we hear, how we feel it, how we experience it. So for me, it's a very freeing thing to, to be present, you know. And like if we come a, across a rainbow in the sky, you know, There'll be things that people love, won't they? Or walking in nature or, you know, if you if you love a certain sport and it comes on, all of a sudden, all of our attention is there. We're fully present. We're fully alert and alive. So so really just following what you enjoy is a very good way of being more alert in this moment. And just recognizing if you hear any thoughts that you faded out a little bit and then just putting more attention into this moment again. What can you see? What can you hear? What are you noticing? 
And I know that people are listening via audio and I know that they have probably their, they're cradling their phone or they've got kids around them. And it's natural to want to be focused on all, all these distractions, thinking that multitasking is good. But it's been my experience that multitasking, trying to pay attention to all things at all times is stressful. It leads to anxiety. It leads away from who you are meant to be. Yeah, it's incredibly stressful. And and you can't multitask. <laughs> you know, like, um, I think I used to believe I could multitask, but really all you're doing is giving some of your attention to each of the tasks, you know. And then I don't think you do any of the tasks as well, and you're not necessarily going to enjoy them as much either as when you give one thing your full attention right now. And then everything is bite-sized. Then there is no stress because everything is easy when there's just that one thing to do. Uh, and so, you know, but when you have young children in particular, like I, I learned this practice initially, my kids were six or nine years old. You know, they're now adults. But at that point in time, you know, they demanded my attention. Everything felt chaotic. And it was just little bit by little bit, you know, as they saw me um, using these techniques and I would come out calmer and happier, they'd be like, you go and do that thing you do, mum. You know, like, I don't know what it is, but now now I have happy mum afterwards. Like, you know, the, the kids love that. They, they, they want that. Um, and, and so much of what our suffering is, is, is a reaction to what is happening. And so with presence, you, you you get out of that reactivity, you know, like for the example, a lot of people don't recognize that pain and suffering is different, you know, like pain is always possible. And it's a useful signal to the brain for us to recognize that something dysfunctional is happening or something that might harm us or endanger us. So it's a very useful signal. But an awful lot of what particularly long term chronic pain, which I was in for many, many years, is actually reactivity. It's resistance to what is. That creates pressure and intensity, uh, and then that leads to suffering. So that's why it's so easy to actually come away from a painful experience. You can certainly dial down suffering and eliminate it altogether quite easily. And an awful lot of that is just recognizing where you're resisting, you know. So it's very, very simple. Stop resisting resistance, you know, and, and just kind of acknowledge what is my life like now? Pay a little bit more attention. And then all, already you're reducing the intensity of the experience. So it's less painful, um, less challenging, less difficult. And I, I find this all very fascinating as you wear black. And I know that's very symbolic. And I'm like, you're embodying black. But for those who don't know what I'm talking about, would you care to explain why you're wearing black? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, as an Ashaya monk, um, there are three colors that we wear. Um, and I used to wear white. That's what I started out wearing. And white represents purity and joy. Um, and then there's another color that I've never worn, which is red. And that represents unconditional love. Um, and black represents ruthless compassion. Um, compassion sounds lovely, right? But ruthless, maybe not so cheerful. But ruthless compassion is about doing whatever it takes to, to, to wake up, whatever it takes for the best thing to happen for all of us. And so when we kind of locked into our ego's version of events and ideas, some things can feel ruthless. But it's really just, you know, like uh, if a young child wants more sweets and they've already had a lot at party, for example, you take the sweets away so they don't start vomiting. You know, it's like that's a really obvious example. 
as adults, it's not always so clear to see when we're continuing doing something that's harmful for ourselves or we're really locked into a particular opinion and a course of action. Uh, And so for me, the ruthlessness comes in. You know, if you see somebody doing, I don't tend to give unsolicited advice because, you know, somebody has to be ready to hear it. But if somebody asks me, then I will give them the absolute honest answer of what I am seeing so that they can actually step out of that pattern and start to have an experience of peace. We live in a society, Mira, that wants instant gratification. And then to add to the madness, we are hard, hardwired for survival. But we think about like our earlier ancestors lived to like 2023 at best. You're, you're a grandma in 30, 36. And so all those things, society, genetics, all the family history, it's all saying, I got to survive. That needs, that means I need it quick, fast and easy. And you're saying no. <laughs> It can be quick, fast and easy, but you want to be quick, fast and easy in the right direction, you know, the direction that serves you most. Because I think sometimes when we have um, instant gratification, um, it it kind of it it never quite uh, soothes the itch and it it never quite soothes what we're looking for. So because we're not actually uh, paying attention, we're not actually recognizing what does serve us best. So, you know, it's like that. It's like taking drugs or drinking alcohol to make yourself feel better. But there's side effects to that, you know, so a lot of things in life produce side effects that we don't want. And then we'll just keep doing more and more and more and more, you know, and and each time you do more, you have to take more to have that same experience of, you know, of of, of ease. And so for me, I'm like, why keep doing that? You know, just stop for a moment, pause. And and maybe you need somebody who already has that experience to just give you a little bit of guidance so that you can actually start to access that natural state of being where you don't actually need anything to make yourself feel better because it's already a content, happy, enjoyable state of being. I know people are listening and there's a lot, there's some fear. I can feel the fear and the energy <laughs> in the room. There, there are people who are saying, if I step away from all the things I'm familiar with, will I enjoy the new version of me? Will people like me? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? That doesn't have to be a sudden, you know, rip off the Band-Aid thing. It, it can be a gradual thing. So for me, um, with any things I've had addiction, it's more food. I don't tend to drink too much alcohol. I'm, I'm not really into that. Um, but for me, if there's foods that um, kind of hit the spot, you know, and, and then it becomes addictive because it makes me feel good. It, it gives a buzz, buzz feeling, actually. Um, you can just bring a little bit more awareness into it. So you're not necessarily trying to stop eating it. You just bring a little bit more awareness. So you might, maybe you want to go to the fridge and go and eat something. So you just pause before you open the door and you just, you know, notice that impulse within you. Where do you feel it in your body, for example? And just observe it for maybe count of five. And then maybe you can do another count of five. So you're just gradually getting used to being with that sensation, that impulse and seeing. You might still open the fridge door. You might still get whatever food you want to eat out. But now you're starting to bring some awareness into the experience. And and with that, everything shifts and changes. And you start to come back to, to rest, come back to just being. And so eventually, if you explore and play with that, you might find that actually that impulse goes away. And then you never need it because actually you're nurtured from within. 
So you don't need something from the outside to actually make you yourself feel better and give you that level of enjoyment. So it doesn't need to be a harsh, forced thing. And I think if it is harsh and forced, I don't think it's sustainable. You know, I think that's why people go on crash diets and, and then they stop and then they put on more weight than they had in the first place, you know, because we're forcing. For me, it, it can be gentle. And the techniques that I teach as an Ashaya monk, they work with, with the mind, with the body, you know. So nothing is being forced. It's just a gentle redirection. When you repeat that, then you start to have a different experience. It calms everything down and then it's easy to make the choices. So for me, certain foods I don't eat so much of anymore. Um, it, it's happened naturally over time. Like I actually don't feel like that, that hit, you know, that that itch that needs scratching doesn't tend to arise so much in my experience anymore. And it's been a very gentle, easy path um, because I'm working with everything. I'm not forcing. I'm actually just gradually retraining, coming back to what that natural state of being is through the techniques, which are mechanical. So they automatically bring you to the state of presence. So it's like, here we are, here we are, you know, until you actually start to consciously recognize it. And through that process, too, you reduce an awful lot of stress. So everything just gets easier. I just had to say this as a public service announcement for everybody's listening, because when you're talking about food, I. OK, I, I want everybody just to keep a very open mind as I, as I am about to break down something. Sugar. Simple carbohydrates is 10 times more addictive than cocaine it is a mind altering chemical that literally hijacks your brain and can distort your thoughts. You can't think well, have you ever just had a candy bar or ate too fast ice cream and you just kind of felt a little dizzy. You kind of felt a little out of sorts. Well, it's doing the exact same thing if you were smoking, snorting up a line of Coke. And so it's going to take some time to detox from that. And as Mir mentioned, mentioned, you don't have to do cold turkey on your breads and your pastas and your sugars and all of that. But we just want you to understand that we want you to take hold of your mind and be present. And there are certain chemicals, which include sugars, that rob you of your peace and your joy and being able to just experience life. Sorry, I just had to, I just had to say that. Just had to just slip that one in. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, and it is there is so many things that we get immediate hits for, you know, and that, that that we kind of start craving, you know, whether it's social media, scrolling, certain types of videos, food, alcohol. Maybe some people do take more drugs or smoking or whatever it is. Exercising actually done to extreme can be quite harmful. You know, everything I think to the extreme uh, can start to become detrimental. Like life is a balance, isn't it? A harmony. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And that's why I love um, that you don't actually have to force yourself. I, I've never really been very good with willpower. You're like, <laughs> so, just, <laughs> you know, so this way absolutely had to be the way I did it because, um, you know, going on diets and things like that, I just was never able to sustain for like even a day. <laughs> so so it, I, need, it, I needed it, the gentle way. <laughs> it just goes against survival, right? It just goes against survival. And I know a lot of people here listening, they're in survival mode right now. They mm -hmm. may have a six-figure, seven-figure, whatever paying job. They may be successful in their business. But so, some of, so many of us have been stuck in survival so long that we have normalized it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that, we and praise that's really- it. I know, don't we just? I know, it's incredible, isn't it? Actually, one of the chapters I I, I wrote in my um, Surrender book, Surrender is Good for the Soul, um, is natural versus normal. You know, because like there is so much in the world that is normal, that is incredibly dysfunctional, that is incredibly stressful and is not sustainable. Like we are all struggling just about to keep our head above water, aren't we? So for me to actually start to look in your life and, and discover like what's actually natural for me, what actually works, what do I actually want and in order for that you know you can think about it but you kind of loop in circles and you'll probably repeat and do the same thing so here really if you want different results you've got to try to do something differently so you know assess your life from the experience of it paying attention you know what do I want what is natural for me and so that's enabled me to um, kind of wipe my life clean if, if you like and start to do things differently working with my natural tendencies you know and starting to become empowered because I was like a really you know firmly rooted in being a people pleaser you know people pleaser and a people rescuer because actually people rescuing was selfish and for me I recognized eventually you know it looks nice sometimes but I was doing it to feel good about myself rather than actually to genuinely help people and a lot of people do that because it's one way we feel good about ourselves obviously it's still a kind thing to do I always had the best intentions, but what I didn't recognize was it wasn't sustainable because you can't give from a dry well, you know? So, right. So I was always giving of myself more than I was capable of giving. And so kindness and compassion has to begin at home. You know, we really need to look at ourselves and let ourselves breathe and be authentic. We can help other people far more um, in in a far grander way if we look after ourselves first and foremost. So it may involve reanalyzing the motives of why we're doing certain things. Maybe trying to be the savior of the world needs to be reevaluated, the intentions of it. Definitely. Maybe, and, yeah. and for me, it's an inside out job. You know, like every single person is valuable. Every single person is here and is needed to be themselves because I think the diversity of life, you know, every single culture, every single unique desire that a person has, all their skill sets, you know, like if we all just did what was right and appropriate for us, I think every base is covered. Like it's a me and you world, not a me or you world. We haven't got to fight and battle and force our way in life. You know, we have our unique skills and I think we're all needed in that. So actually, you know, in order to benefit the whole world, we need to kind of come back to home within ourselves. And, and then I think that naturally flows out into the world, you know, so that kindness you direct towards yourself, it comes out into the world. You allow yourself to do exactly what's right for you. You allow others to do exactly what's right for them. And then I feel like everything just works. There's a flow, there's a balance, and there's a synergy that just happens naturally and easily. In a world where everybody's trying to get their 15 minutes of fame, they're going to these desperate measures to be appreciated, acknowledged. And never in that course, they're asking, how can I love myself? How can I be true to myself? How can I feel connected to something that is beyond just adoration, you know? 
And that's hard for a lot of people because that's all the messaging that they've got. Be someone so that you'll be likable. Be someone so that you can leave a legacy. Absolutely. But you know what? What I've discovered in trying to be liked over the years, you know, like trying to fit in, trying to do the right thing, trying to get people to like me, trying to be popular in certain respects, um, do the best I can in my job and everything like that. I've recognized there came a point when I'm like, wow, actually being myself, people like me more. You know, there's a there's a more gentleness when there's authenticity. Like I think when people are just being themselves, it's really appealing to people, no matter whether that's, you know, expressing pain or expressing enjoyment or excitement. I think it's the same. You know, if you look at people who are musicians or artists, you know, they they paint and express and sing their pain. It's captivating. Everyone's like, wow, because it's authentic, you know, such a clean, clear expression of exactly who that person is, how they feel right now, you know, and it's healing. I think when people do that too, you know, um, and it's, 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 allowing then creativity to flow through so readily so that if you have got a goal in mind like for your business or you want to paint a picture or write a book or whatever your you know it can be something great my, my dad was a dentist and so for him you know it's a little bit more technical scientific stuff but he could still be very creative with that and I think creativity with that linear logical mind you know I think we we kind of um we break down barriers. We go through and evolve to to something even greater than we could have ever conceived with just the linear, logical thinking mind. And I know this is going to really rock the people who are scientific, that are procedural, that one that dot their I's and cross their T's and, and go with what the, 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 the proven formulas of success, is, according to Robert Kiyosaki or all those other people. And in the process of just trying to have it all right, it's so funny. A lot of people just become unfurled and they hit that moment where they're like, there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be something better. Which is a really good point to get to, you know, the the moment where you hit rock bottom or you just think none of this is working. There's got to be more to life. And this is the moment that you might actually open up and start looking and paying attention and then then the world will show you what is possible, you know, what wants to happen and, and give you then the means and the opportunities to, to actually go for something probably far greater than you could ever conceive yourself. Like the, the mind is a very limited tool. So you might have these grand schemes. I guarantee you that what is possible is probably even greater than what you can even imagine. If you actually come back to yourself, be yourself and let that, that creativity flow through. And this is where I want to ask you about essence versus personality. I I, I got to ask you this because it's like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Isn't that one of the same? <laughs> well, yeah. And I would probably agreed in the past that, that they were the same. But um, again, it's something that through the direct experience of exploring presence, as opposed to just, you know, who I thought I was, I that started to change, you know, because like personality, for example, I would have I would have said um, if I were to describe myself kind of 10, 15 years ago, I'm a very shy, quiet person terrified of public speaking this podcast would not have been possible you know I I just wouldn't have wanted to do it and even if I'd come on it I would have had to have so much written down I'd have had to planned and prepared and I haven't done any any of that like I trust now that it just naturally comes through and so personality is really an awful lot of that is learned traits 
You know, like we learn to be, we learn to react, we learn to cope. We have massive defense mechanisms, you know. And so a lot of what we call personality traits are learned behavior. And so when that all starts to strip away, as you start to become more present and more aware, then you start to see this shining light, you know, this pure essence coming through. Um, and for me, like I was really insecure. Now I feel confident. And it's not like um, really I've just shed the insecurity, you know, confidence. I think like you see young kids, they're quite confident, aren't they? You know, and so a lot of people think they're insecure. And it's like, no, that's actually just a learned personality trait. And yeah, it will be your experience. But what is possible? What's actually natural? What and who are you really? And then that essence can start to shine and show through. And so then everything that you're not falls away and you're kind of left with just who, who you really are. And that's really important for people to understand that you don't have to sign all those labels about what mom, dad, Uncle Bob, you know, your school teacher, all these people said or what you read. It's not you. That's what they told you you could be if you wanted it. But you were so attached to approval that you surrendered yourself to ideals that don't even represent what your soul craves. Yeah, and I, I I truly believe too that what, you know, the heart desires, what we want, what we desire is what is meant and what is best for us. Like I think sometimes it feels like we have desires and it's going against. Like if we if we have it, we're maybe taking from somebody else or we're, we're kind of doing something that maybe we don't feel, you know, we are actually capable of. But I believe that if we have a desire, you know, go for it. Because if it's not the most natural course of action, I think in going for it, that becomes apparent. So then we stop being so afraid to fail, you know, like we just go for it and then you can course correct. You know, if it's not working out right, no problem. You know, I think the most successful people in the world are those that have, you know, failed way more times than most people even try. You know, I love failure. I mean, I shoot the first two years of my podcast. I didn't even know to say if you like this podcast, please write and write a review and subscribe, which you should do, by the way. I made so many blunders. And that's awesome because that's lessons. Because our fears have a wonderful way of limiting us. Our fears tell us we need we need to do all these things. We need papers. And when I say papers, you need a doctor, an MBA. You need all these accreditations in order for you to like tell your story. Well, maybe you should tell your story now and learn some things along the way. Yeah, I would never have published the first book I published if I had waited until I felt ready. I, I published yeah. it. I just I just wrote it. It took four years to write because I procrastinated along the way. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't think anybody would want to hear what I had to say, you know, and in the end, I just hit, you know, I just hit the button and I published it and I just, you know, see what happens. And yeah, I didn't know very much. I've changed the cover since then, the cover design, for example, it didn't look so good on Amazon. There's so many different things that I would, you know, I do differently now when I publish books, but is part of the beautiful journey. You know, I don't regret any of them because actually that's how I know what kind of works, you know, better now uh, because of the mistakes I made. So they're stepping stones, aren't they? I just have to say this, Mira, for those who are listening, you probably know this already. Just because someone failed in this area does not guarantee you will fail. You are unique. Your experiences are unique. 
I'm just so tired of these conversations of people hearing failure stories and assuming that it's a destination is the same path that everyone will also go. I'm like, no, that's their story. Yeah. And actually, you know, that's where it's lovely to collaborate and share, you know, how how you did something and go, yeah, that didn't work so well, you know, because then in sharing your failure, it enables other people to go, oh, all right, great. So that doesn't work so well. You know, so it, it kind of for me, I think, allows people to to go more directly, you know, to, to the things that do work by sharing our own unique story. And, and making every part of that beautiful. The failures are beautiful because they got us to where we are now, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I guess I also just want people to understand that their failure story belongs to them. Mm. Learn those lessons, but don't mm. believe that you're a failure. You could be a failure because another person couldn't succeed in that area. Absolutely. I think anything's possible. I, I You know, I actually really don't believe in failure, to be honest. I, I think, you know, it's never the end of the road. A failure is just a stepping stone. So I think anything's possible. And I think if people just want to go for what they want, that they'll do it, especially if they're one pointed The more one pointed you are, you know, you cannot fail. <laughs> you know, you know, let me, I guess, let me say it another way. When I think about failure, I think it was like a dot, right. Or, you know, but really missteps are, we call failures, what they really are, are missteps or recalculations or lessons learned, which are commas not the period, not the end. Because when you're failing, mm-hmm. it's game over. You can't go back. But for as long as you've got breath, right? As long as like you can be a part of planet Earth, there's always a turn the page. It's just like a book. It's just in, like a new chapter. So it doesn't tur- turn the page. And understanding that this is all being done to create a beautiful story. That is your life, you know? Yeah. And there's always another chapter, isn't there? Always, always. And and on that note, Mira, where can people find you? Where can people just continue this conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, you can check out my website, which is boundless-meditation.co.uk. And if anybody wants to kind of join in and hear more from me, uh, I have a Facebook group uh, that people can join, which is called Peace or Pain. Um, and uh, there I post kind of everything so people can hear what I'm doing. Um, so there's an awful lot that I post uh, for, that's inspiring. Um, and I'm, I've got a whole load of new stuff like audios and video shorts and a ton of stuff that I'm going to start uh, posting more in there. And then if you fancy checking out my books, they're both available on on Amazon. And I'm sure Denise may may put the links for me. <laughs> I will put the links. Don't you worry about that. I will put the links. but. Th- I, I've I've been enjoying just our interactions, just getting to know you. Is there like anything that people just need to know before they hit the stop button on the, this conversation? What do people need to know from you? Well, you know, like go for what you want. Anything is possible. Um, and really like tap into looking at what you want, you know, and and allowing those skill sets to arise within you those natural impulses go for those dies don't don't edit you know don't pretend that you're somebody else actually you know who am I and just be authentic because I think if you're authentic and you're willing to explore and see what's possible you know try different things then I I think you'll find it I know I know that worked for me (laughs) it's clearly working because we're talking so (laughs) (laughs) 
Mira, it's just been such a pleasure. I have enjoyed just all of our conversations and I'm hoping that people will take some valuable lessons learned about understanding that thinking is not being necessarily being present, that failure is a doorway to success, that peace or pain is their choices. And more importantly, surrender brings fulfillment. Oh gosh. The pathway to peace is surrender. And I know some people need to just maybe hit that rewind button on what I just said a couple of times for it to sink in. Lord knows it took me 10 years to figure that one out. But I digress. The point I'm trying to say is that it is all possible if you are curious and inquisitive and have so much self-love for yourself. Then you can pour out all that's being filled into you. Mira, thank you again. If you guys who are listening have enjoyed this conversation, I just want to encourage you to learn more about Mira. I obviously, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you subscribe, write a review, all that fun stuff, send this message out far and wide because we want to amplify this message that hope and healing is possible. And it all depends on your willingness to explore yourself. Again, Mira, thank you so much. And thank you everyone who's listening. Until next time, take care and be awesome.